Hello and welcome to Ag PhD Radio. I'm Brian Hefty, live in the Morton studio. Today in the show, we're going to be talking a little about one of my least favorite topics, downed corn or lodged corn. Now, well, it's my one of my least favorite topics. It's actually one of my most favorite things to try to fix on a farm because there are absolutely things that can be done. And you might say, well, there's nothing you can do to stop a 90-mile-an-hour wind. Nope, I can't. But you know what I can do? Get your crop ready for it. So we're going to talk about that throughout the show today. If you've got any questions for us, you can certainly give us a call, 844-44-AG-PHD. That's 844-442-4743. Or you can send us an email, radio at agphd.com. Oh, and you can also find us on Twitter, agphdmedia, Darren Hefty, or Brian Hefty. So I'm not sure if my brother Darren will be joining us a little bit later in the show. He's out doing some traveling, looking at, uh, at some more plots. It's one of the big things that he spends a lot of time on each and every year is just looking at and working with the breeders and all their different plots and just trying to figure out like on corn and soybeans what the future looks like for genetics and traits and this is one of the big topics. It's how do we stop corn from lodging and I want to let you in on one thing real quick here as we start this show. It's almost never the variety. And even Darren will talk from time to time about, oh, this variety stands a little better or whatever. Look, if it's a little shorter, I get it. But in terms of, well, one variety is way better in terms of lodging tolerance than another, I'm not buying it. I'm just not. I hear, oh, this one has better roots. Uh, I mean, yeah, some of the breeders even will talk about that stuff. But here again, honestly, I'm not buying much of that. The number one thing, and I don't ever want you to forget this, if you ever have corn that goes down, or for that matter, any crop, I don't care if it's wheat, soybeans, whatever crop you raise, please go do a soil test right in the worst area of where there is lodging. Most likely, you're going to find your potassium was just really low. If you get your potassium level up, then you don't have nearly the issues that you do when the potassium level is low. Now, along with that is planting population. So the thicker you plant any crop, just think about this logically for a second. Okay, so you've got a certain amount of potassium in the ground. You plant 30,000 plants of corn. You plant 40,000, you plant 20,000. Okay, the 40,000 plants has access to the exact same amount of potassium that the 20,000 plants did or the 30,000 plants. So what do you think is going to have a lodging problem? And this is where we say all the time, if you want to bump your planting population with whatever crop you're raising, you certainly can do that, and that's your choice. But our job as agronomists is to help you understand Whatever you have in the soil and what your ability what and the crop level that that you have the ability to support. So where, where I'm going with this is I'll just give you a quick example. Like last year, I had a farmer from Minnesota, actually it was his agronomist, sends me a soil test because of course the corn went down and right away the farmer's saying, Wow, this variety was just bad. I look at the soil test and I go, you got less than 1% base saturation potassium, and you planted at 36,000 plants per acre. It's a miracle it stood this long. Seriously. So 
if you're just going to randomly go plant population based on whatever your seed dealer or some neighbor said, don't do that because now you're taking just tremendous risk. So if I see 1% or less base saturation K, I'm probably going to tell a farmer at 36,000? No, 16,000 I'd feel very comfortable. Maybe 20 or 22, but not 36,000. No way. So potassium is number one, but along with that, it's planting population. Now there are other nutrients that play into this too. For example, if you get your nitrogen to potassium ratio out of whack, yeah, you could have a problem. Let's say you put on 500 pounds of nitrogen and you have very little potassium. Well, you're going to encourage that plant to grow taller because of the excess nitrogen early in the season. It's just going to be more prone to lodging. Also, in terms of the stock quality and stock size, copper and manganese are also important. So I'm always going to look at the soil test for all nutrients, but when it comes to stocks, I'm going to look number one at copper, or sorry, number one at potassium, number two at copper, and number three at manganese. Now, here's another thing that I would absolutely be checking out if you have some lodging issues is what was your soil like to support your plant roots? Did you have great drainage so your roots could get deep early? And had you minimized compaction? We talk often about strip-till here on the show, and one of the things I like about that, and don't get me wrong, I'm not saying there's anything necessarily bad with no-till or with conventional-till, okay? But let's just talk about strip-till for one second. Let's say that you go out in the fall with a shank running deep, like 10 inches, which is what I like to do on our own farm. We've gone coulters that deep or almost that deep before too, but I, I like going with a shank at 10 inches deep and placing the fertilizer down there. Well, that means I have no compaction down to 10 inches. And if I don't have compaction right at that level, then hopefully I can get way down into the soil, and that's the objective. But if I have a high water table or if I have a bad compaction layer that my roots can't get through, what happens? My, my plant roots don't go deep, and now I have more risk for lodging. Along with that, and just talking about roots here, I would say in corn, corn rootworms are really, really big deal. And I was just thinking about this before the show started. And in the fall, so it was October of 2005, so it was 17 years ago, corn locally for us bottomed out at a dollar and 30 cents a dollar and 30 cents and i just remember all those years where we had sub two dollar corn i'm gonna think a lot different about what i invest in rootworm treatment when i have corn worth less than two dollars versus today when i have corn worth almost seven dollars so when i have this many dollars to protect I'm going to throw the kitchen sink at it. I mean, we're going to have a, a trait. We're going to use insecticide at planting time, and we're going to use insecticide with our fungicide later on in the season to kill the adult corn rootworm beetles. So these things are all really important as we talk about down corn and corn lodging. We want to help you solve any problems you have on your farm. Stay tuned. We'll talk about that right after this. It takes balance to be successful in farming because what you get out of it depends on what you put in. And Corteva AgriScience gets that. Introducing Nutricia and Nutrient Efficiency Optimizer, a biological product that naturally captures nutrition from the air. It's a sustainable way to add balance to your traditional nitrogen methods and maximize your yield potential. Embrace a balanced approach to nitrogen management this season by visiting corteva.us. 
When it comes to mites in your field, you can't afford a solution that might work. That's why there's ZealPro Miticide from Valent USA. With next-level knockdown and long residual control, you can be sure to handle spider mites at all stages of life with complete certainty. With efficient translaminar activity, apply by ground or air, and confidently attack mites where they are. Make ZealPro the definitive answer to your mite problem. Visit valent.com zealpro to learn more. Always read and follow label instructions. Ag PhD has one mission, to give you the knowledge you need to make your farm more successful. That's why every issue of the Ag PhD Insider Magazine features crop fertility and pest management tips, insights into the world's highest yielding farmers, updates and results from our in-field research trials, as well as the latest agronomy information from Brian and Darren Hefty. We put it all in one place so you can make your farm more productive and profitable. Subscribe to the Ag PhD Insider at agphdinsider.com. This is Stormy Fields with your weather forecast. Today calls for a high of 68 degrees with sunny skies and not a cloud in sight. Planting windows can close fast, so when you need both speed and accuracy, choose John Deere. Our exact emerge planters and precision ag technologies give you precise seed placement for uniform emergence and the efficiency you need to gain ground. See what you have to gain at johndeere.com slash gain ground. Back to Ag PhD Radio. I'm Brian Hefty, live in the Morton studio. Today we're talking about downed corn, lodged corn, and whether you raise corn or not, this can be a problem in just about any crop. We just don't want to see you have lodging issues. So we're going to talk through that today just a little bit in terms of what you can do to hopefully help your crop withstand those strong winds just a little bit better and stay standing and get high yields. So first on the show, we got Dan Mahoney with us. He is from West Central Minnesota. He's an insurance agent and also a farmer. Dan, how are you today? I'm, I'm doing well. How are you? Excellent. So... As as far as our topic, downed corn, have you seen a lot of that this year? Would you say this is a normal year for downed corn? Is it worse than normal? What, what do things look like up your way? Well, as of right now, uh, they're they're normal. Um, but as we know, the weather can change, and we, we can certainly have wind events uh, before the corn's off the field. But as as right now, uh, there's there's minimal stock. Uh, breakage uh, out of the cornfields. From an insurance perspective, if I'm a farmer and I'm really worried about lodging, what are my best options for insurance? Well, you're, there's two options. Um, you, you can piggyback a wind coverage on a crop hail dollar plan. Uh, you choose to buy so many dollars per acre, or you could piggyback uh, wind protection on a production plan which takes, uh, takes in consideration of uh, the reduction in yield uh, from, from the wind damage. Um, they both have some advantages and disadvantages. The, the dollar plans, um, you could have wind hit a certain variety in part of your field and do a lot of damage on it, and the dollar plan would, would pay. Um, if you had a production plan policy, it's possible that you would end up with enough production off the whole field, uh, the good standing corn and the other variety, to basically make 
the ineligible for a loss payment. So um, uh, the trend has been going uh, in the direction of more dollar plans these days in our area. Um, uh, uh, but yeah, I, 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 I'm, I'm neutral on what the farmer wants to buy, but uh, it seems like the dollar plans are, are becoming more popular. Let's talk about your own farm. What what do you do? I, I mean, are, do you really heavily insure because you're super worried about wind in your area, or is it generally not that big an issue? No, it's a big issue in, in, in our area. Um, uh, we take the 80% coverage. Um, some crops, uh, optionally, section by section. Other crops will take the 85 enterprise uh, unit selection. Um and then between that dollar amount of coverage, we look look at you know how much profit do we want we want to put on on top of that. And the advantage of the dollar plans, you can crank them up and tailor them down to uh, so many dollars and cents per acre. Sure. The bushel plans, you're you're, you're kind of limited. But um, yeah, we uh, uh, we we carry the the wind insurance. Um, uh, which is good through October. Some companies are, some companies aren't. Um, and we take the um, extra harvest expense uh, uh, option of the policy. Um, even though we do our own combining, it's an extra headache and that extra money is nice. If you hire your combining gun, it gives you a few more dollars to offset what the custom harvester might be charging you sure. to go slow or pick the corn in one direction. So anything else you wanted to leave us with today, Dan, when we start talking about downed corn? Um, there's only one thing worse than downed corn, and that's picking downed corn when the wet, you have wet conditions. Yep. I, my advice is, although the forecast looks favorable, my advice is um, if it's down, it's not going to get better. It's going to be worse. And uh, I think your money ahead, spending some money on LP, and getting the corn into the corn head and in the grand tank um, and into the dryer or into town. I, uh, I, I would, I would get to the down corn sooner versus later. Yep. I agree with you a hundred percent. Again, we've been talking with Dan Mahoney. He's with Midwest insurance up in Morris, Minnesota. Dan, thanks a lot for the time today. We appreciate you being on the show. Yep. Anytime, Brian, no problem. Yep. Thanks. All right, let's go down to the state of Iowa. We've got Mark Licht on with us next. He is an extension cropping system specialist for Iowa State University. Mark, how are things going for you today? Oh, pretty good. It turned out to be a nice day. Yeah, same thing here. So we've had a lot of wind events here, it feels like, in the last few years. The, this derecho thing has gotten to be part of every farmer's vocabulary, unfortunately. And people are just almost, it seems like, getting used to wind damage. So what are the most common questions you get from farmers about this whole downed corn topic that we're talking about today? Yeah, so usually the, the you know, the first part of the question is, is you know, how much yield loss, um, you yep. know, are they going to see, um, you know, and you know as well as I do that that can be hard to predict at times. Yep. Um, you know, and then just the timing of, you know, when that wind event occurs, you know, then they start getting into some of the quality questions, you know, so, you know, is it going to reach maturity or, you know, in some cases, is it even, you know, going to pollinate, mm -hmm. uh, you know, for that early, yep. um, you know, and then, and then, it, then it slowly sets into, oh, how am I going to harvest this? <laughs> yep. 
Okay, so you're you're kind of the harvesting specialist. So what's your advice when you see downed corn? I, I, I mean, what do you suggest usually to guys? Yeah, so it it really comes back to you know just plan for a slower harvest um, because it we we all know it's going to you know slow you down and especially if you have to go you know one direction right. Yep. Um, so once you once you get that kind of mentality, then you sit back and you say, okay, so how do I do this without damaging the the snoots on the head? Uh, make sure that I'm pulling in as much as we can, and it really comes down to setting. So. Um, making sure that those gathering chains are, are pulling correctly. You might take off the ear flaps so that way you don't have, uh, you know, anything there that might, uh, you know, bounce those ears out as well. You know, and then it's just, you know, taking your time, uh, making sure everything is working as well as it can be. So there are many different types of heads out there, and some people will ask about reels when you have downed crop. So can you talk to us about that real quick? Yeah, so uh, reels can help. Um, again, it depends on how far down you know the the crop is laying and and the well you know the type of heads that you have. You know, so some of that comes back to we're just trying to help um, guide that you know those the ears, but also the stalks. You know, to to flow through the combine. Um, if we have them bunching up, that that can create some problems for us, right? Mm-hmm. Um, the other part of that, um, too, is, you know, not just can we get a hold of a reel, but can we get a hold of a reel that's going to, um, you know, kind of match the combine, match the speed, match the, the type of down corn that we're dealing with right. uh, to even get the benefit out of it. Yeah, and the problem is it's very often variable throughout the field. So that reel might be great in one area and not great in another area, correct? Yeah, that's, that's it. And, you know, part of that comes down to the speed on the reel. Um, and so if you're able to adjust that speed to match the, the area of the field, um, that, that would be ideal. You know, the downside is, is now you're trying to manage one more thing, um, you know, <laughs> yeah. in, in a situation that's already not ideal. <laughs> yep, definitely. All right, we got about a minute left. Any last tips you got for us today, Mark? Um, you know, the other thing that we often see with down corn, especially when it gets dry, is that residue is not flowing through as well. And sometimes that can add um, hot points um, that can lead to field fires. So, you know, if we are dealing with down corn, just be aware of that. Uh, check, uh, make sure you've got everything greased well. Make sure everything's running properly. Yeah, good tips. We were talking to a farmer just the other day who had a bearing go out on his combine. Fortunately, his grain cart operator saw that the, the fire started right away. So there wasn't some big catastrophe, but yeah, it can happen to anybody. Well, we've been talking with Mark Licht. He's with Iowa State University. Mark, thanks for the time today. We appreciate you being on the show. Yeah, thanks for having me. You bet. All right, again, we're talking about something you probably don't want to discuss, but unfortunately it happens on just about every farm sooner or later. It's lodging issues, especially with corn. So today our topic's downed corn. We'll talk a little more about that right after this on Ag PhD Radio. In a world of Veltima fungicide. Hey, let's do it less dramatic. Just say Veltima fungicide. Okay, Veltima fungicide. 
No, that's literally the same. Veltima fungicide. Still doing it. Veltima fungicide does it. Seriously, we just need you to say Veltima fungicide. Swift, simple, and secure. Didn't I? Veltima fungicide from BASF in cornfields this summer. Always read and follow label directions. Your schedule can change by the minute, making it hard to stay on top of the latest agronomy information. But at Ag PhD, we have some good news for you. If you miss an episode of Ag PhD TV or radio, you can catch up at agphd.com. With years of valuable content and the latest episodes available to stream for free, you can continue building your agronomic knowledge on any schedule. While you're there, don't forget to check for upcoming Ag PhD events and workshops. Watch, listen, and learn at agphd.com. What if your herbicide was easy to mix and tough for weeds to resist? Anthem Flex Herbicide from FMC offers the most effective mode of action for spring and winter wheat, delivering long-lasting control of grasses and broadleaf weeds, including Italian ryegrass, rat-tail fescue, and downy brome, plus weeds typically resistant to glyphosate and Group 1 and Group 2 herbicides. Visit your FMC retailer or ag.fmc.com to learn more. Always read and follow all label directions. It's smart to make the right agronomic choices, and it's even smarter to get rewarded for them. With the Bayer Plus Rewards Program, you earn cash back on seed, herbicides, and other eligible products. And it keeps getting smarter, because now you can earn an additional 10% bonus when you send your redemption check to your retailer. To learn more, contact your retailer today. Protect your yields and get the most from your land with Bayer Plus Rewards. Visit MyBayerPlus.com and see program terms and conditions for full details. Every week for more than two decades, Ag PhD TV has provided agronomic information to make your farm more productive and profitable. In each episode, we discuss a wide range of topics covering everything from crop fertility, promoting soil health, improving the environment, pest control, and more. All designed to help you push your farm to higher yield goals and more profitability. Be sure to catch us on Tuesdays and Saturdays on RFD TV. Check your local listings or visit agphd.com to learn more. You can count on AgroLiquid for precision crop nutrition. When you don't get all your potash down in the fall, when weather or market prices change your management strategy, or when you want to balance your fertilizer program with micronutrients, AgroLiquid is ready with the products and application flexibility you want for in-season crop nutrition and the research-proven results you need. AgroLiquid. Apply less. Expect more. Find a retailer at agroliquid.com. Thanks for listening today to Ag PhD Radio. I'm Brian Hefty, live in the Morton studio. Today we're talking a little about downed corn. If you've got any questions for us, we'd be happy to take your phone call, 844-44-AG-PHD, or you can send us an email, radio at agphd.com. Right next on the show, we've got Ben Albert with us. He's from North Dakota and a Case IH harvesting specialist. Ben, how is harvest going up in the state of North Dakota so far? Um, I, I'm out in the center of edible bean country, so we got a lot of guys going hard on edible beans. A few guys have started into soybeans. Um, not too many have touched corn yet, but I would expect the next uh, week or so probably get some guys getting out there and trying it, see what it looks like. Now, North Dakota isn't exactly known for having lots of corn acres, but the corn acres that are raised often are pretty good. But unfortunately, weather seems like it's always against a farmer in North Dakota. 
So talk to us just a little bit about some of the downed corn that you've seen in the past up there and what are maybe some of the best tips you've had for guys to get that corn out of the field or at least as many bushels as possible out of the field. Yeah, we, we definitely have our weather challenges, and uh, with some of the summer storms, we do see some of that down corn. Um, probably a couple of the first things I would start with on my corn header, um, I, items that, you know, you should be checking in any corn condition, but um, my stock roll knives, you know, I want to make sure those are sharp and that they're adjusted correctly so I can get a good grip on that stock when it comes into the corn head. Um, and then also my stripper deck plate gap. I want to make sure that they're adjusted about an eighth of an inch wider in the back versus the front. Uh, that helps minimize any plugging issues. And then also check, make sure that gap between the plates is consistent um, from across, across the width of the header because I don't want one end open wider than the other. I want to have those even. Um, like I say, those things, you know, items that no matter what I'm harvesting, I want to do those first. Um, then after that, get into down corn. Uh, we really need to look at the angle of our header. Um, typically, we want the deck plates at 23 degrees uh, when we're sitting at operating height with that header. Uh, down corn, I might go down as flat as 19 to 20 degrees. Um, I do want to watch if I'm running a chopping corn head that I'm not flattening out so far that I start double cutting my stalks um, underneath the head because that takes some extra power that I don't need yeah. to uh, be expending doing that. Yeah, although you're going to be running probably really slow when you're going, so maybe it's not as big a deal as normal when you're trying to go full speed, right? Well, still the price of fuel these days, we don't want to burn any more than we need to. But, um, you know, just one thing, that's something I run into from time to time. But, um, you know, flatter, 19, 20 degrees, yeah. uh, a lot of times will work better. Um, if we've got hydraulic fore-aft tilt on our feeder house, you know, we can use that as we go to make those adjustments. Um, something else I tend to look at, too, is um, gathering chain timing. Uh, if I put my chains so that the lugs are tip to tip, uh, it's quite a bit more aggressive on feeding in those tangled conditions. Mm -hmm. It will pull more trash, broken stocks, whatnot, into the combine. But in those conditions, you know, I, I got to do what I got to do to get the crop in. So. Right. So what are the most common mistakes you see where you go out into a field, the corn's down, the guy's trying to get it out, and, and he's just not picking it up correctly, or maybe too much is going through or something? I mean, what are the most common mistakes that you do see out in a field like that? Um, probably one of the biggest things is direction of travel. When it's really bad, sometimes we got to look at, you know, which side are we yeah. starting the field on? Uh, do we maybe need to switch to the other side and work in the opposite direction? Uh, things like that. You know, I've seen really severe cases where we're having to harvest in one direction, which yep. nobody wants to do, but some days you got to do that. So, Yeah, we had that happen one time on our farm, and I just vowed I, I'm going to do everything I can to prevent that from happening again in the future because we had to go one mile an hour, one direction. Fortunately, it was just one field where we had really pushed the planting population way beyond what we should have for the potassium we had in our soil and everything else. So that was that was our challenge there. Ben, anything else you want to leave us with when it comes to this down corn topic? Um, probably the last thing I'd touch on with the headers is just um, our header speed. Um, you know, as, as you're running slower in the field, you can run your feeder house speed slower, provided you've got variable speed on the combine. Sure. Uh, that helps reduce our losses. Um, typically, we want to run it as slow as we can, but we want to get those ears to hit the deck plates about halfway back. 
as what we're shooting for. Yeah, it's uh, it's really unfortunate when the corn goes down and you got to go slow going through the field and everything else. But those are some great tips you gave us today, Ben. Hopefully, uh, anybody listening today will uh, use those if this ever happens on the farm. Again, this is Ben Albert we've been talking with with Case IH. He's a harvesting specialist with them up in North Dakota. Ben, thank you for being on the show. Great stuff. You're welcome. All right, I want to come back to one thing that I said just a little bit earlier, and you probably, if you heard it, you go, wait a second, I don't know if he's really right there. The variety doesn't make that much difference. So don't get me wrong. I'm not saying that you won't see differences from one variety to the next when you have a lodging problem. The wind comes through, one variety goes down, the other one doesn't. So right away, the instinct is to say, well, this one just won't stand. It's no good. But here's the thing I can tell you. And if you remember earlier in the show, I just made the comment that Darren was out looking at more breeder plots today. So we're doing this constantly and we're evaluating literally like a hundred different varieties on our own farm each year just so we have better information and then we can talk to you from a more educated standpoint. But I would just say this, one year um, a variety might look better than the other. And the very next year, it's flip-flop completely. And in fact, what we often see is in the same year, the varieties can be flip-flopped. So we've had it where, oh, here, one variety goes down, the other one doesn't. And 20 miles away, it's the exact opposite. The one that stood here goes down there. The one that went down here stands there. The reason why this is happening in a lot of cases is it's, it's not so much the variety. It's the stage of growth that variety is in. And it's also a little bit time of day. So let's talk about first the stage that each variety is in. So at different points during that plant's life, it will be more prone to wind lodging and then less prone. And it goes through these kind of cycles where it's trying to grow tall, yet then the stalk's got to fill in. And I mean, there's just a lot going on in each plant. And also this can be impacted because of the herbicide you spray, because of maybe some weeds around that variety at that timing. It can have have something to do with tillage and compaction and drainage. I mean, there's a lot of stuff that can enter in here. But where I'm going with this is a lot of it has to do with the stage of growth the plant is in right then. And also when I say time of day, what they found is that with plants, they are the most vulnerable with corn plants. They're the most vulnerable in the early morning hours. So in other words, they have actually been fairly strong, but then during the day, but then at night, for whatever reason, as they're growing, then they're just a little bit weaker. And so when you look at the hours of, I don't know what exactly it is, but let's call it 3 a.m. to 8 a.m. or something like that. If your wind, your big wind event happens during that time frame, you're more likely to have a lodging problem than if the wind happened at, let's call it noon. So (laughs) it gets frustrating as a farmer because you want to have a simple answer for everything. It's it's great when you can self-diagnose something and you go, well, easy to figure out here. This variety went down, this one didn't, I'm planting all this variety in the future and I'm not planting that other variety because it's no good. But I'm just trying to tell you here, that's 
almost never the case in our evaluations of corn hybrids over the last 30 or 40 years. It, it rarely is the variety. It's almost always something else. Or if it is the variety, it's just the stage of growth it's in rather than the variety itself. So don't please don't fall into that trap of thinking, well, I've had lodging problems before. I'm just going to plant better hybrids. No, that's probably not going to do it. It comes back to potassium planting population, nitrogen to potassium ratio, drainage, compaction, weeds, diseases, and insects like corn rootworms. So there are a lot of other management steps you can take to make your crop a lot more tolerant because we all know the wind's going to happen. It's just, is your crop going to stand or is it not? Okay, right after this, we're going to get to your questions in the Ag PhD mailbag. Stay tuned. When I step on someone's farm, I feel like I've already walked a mile in their shoes. I spin spring on the tractor and fall in the combine. I see the excitement in my kids' eyes on our farm, but worry if there's enough of it for all of them. I make sure everything Case IH makes meets the challenges farmers face, because I face them too. My name is Ryan, I am a farmer, and I work at Case IH. Case IH, built by farmers. Don't turn your fertilizer application plan into a guessing game. Understand exactly how much fertility you need to reach your yield goals with the Ag PhD Fertilizer Removal App. Simply enter your crop and your yield goal and the Ag PhD Fertilizer Removal App calculates the amount of nutrition needed to keep your crop healthy and working for you. Quit playing guessing games with your fertility needs. Download the Ag PhD Fertilizer Removal App today. Available on the Apple App Store and in Google Play. The value of your farm building is in its ability to protect what's stored inside. That's why Morton Buildings ensures that every machine storage and insulated workshop we build will provide superior strength and durability. As a 100% employee-owned company, we're all committed to being the industry leader with a focus on innovation, service, quality, and most importantly, customer satisfaction. To get started on your next project, please visit mortonbuildings.com. If we only had 20 words to talk about AgBiome, we would say we are agricultural innovators focused on unlocking the power of the microbial world to deliver unique, effective crop protection solutions. If we only had five words, we'd say learn more at agbiome.com. Get maximum seed to soil contact and maximum germination with the Germinator Closing Wheel from Farm Shop MFG. Plus, with 10% off while supplies last, you can fully upgrade your planter for less. Just go to farmshopmfg.com. Ag PhD has one mission, to give you the knowledge you need to make your farm more successful. That's why every issue of the Ag PhD Insider Magazine features crop fertility and pest management tips, insights into the world's highest yielding farmers, updates and results from our in-field research trials, as well as the latest agronomy information from Brian and Darren Hefty. We put it all in one place so you can make your farm more productive and profitable. Subscribe to the Ag PhD Insider at agphdinsider.com. At Corteva AgriScience, we want to keep farms healthy and productive, today and tomorrow. That's why we're investing in a robust pipeline of naturally derived biologicals. Meet Nutrition and Nutrient Efficiency Optimizer. It's a sustainable nitrogen fixation product that facilitates crop growth and optimizes yield potential. With the fluctuation in fertilizer prices, Nutrition N is a reliable solution. It can be used alongside your traditional nitrogen program to enhance your ROI this year. For more information, visit Corteva.us.
Thanks for listening today to Ag PhD Radio. Brian Hefty here live in the Morton studio. We've been talking about downed corn just a little bit. And I guess the last thing I'll leave you with that or leave you with on that topic is if it happens to you, hang in there. Don't get too discouraged. And in farming, I'll just say this. We as farmers have to go through a lot of tough times, unfortunately. That's just the way it is. It feels like many days everything is against us, from the markets, the farm news, interest rates, the weather, you na- the weeds, the insects, the diseases, you name it. But I'm, I'm just trying to encourage you because when you see a problem, if you just look at it from rather than from, oh, woe is me and this is terrible— and instead, turn it around and say, okay, I've been faced with this big challenge here. Number one, how am I going to get through this? And you will make it through. And then, how am I going to make sure this doesn't happen to me again in the future? So I was saying just shortly before the break there that we had a severe issue with down corn. This goes back, I don't even know, 20 years ago, 15, 18 years ago, something like somewhere in that time frame. And we had to harvest corn one direction, one mile an hour, on about 120 acres, 140 acres, something like that. And I just, I felt so bad for all of our people that were working with us at the time. It's like, you know, it it really, it was a management decision. It was 100% my fault. I planted way too much population for what we had out there for potassium. And I learned that afterwards. I learned from the event. And so, we haven't had that happen since, and I don't believe it ever will happen again. And we can talk all we want about these derechos and strong winds and everything else, but even in those kind of events, you can do better. I'm not saying we're going to stop any lodging issues, but at least we can have more tolerant, more resilient plants. So I I, I just encourage you, hang in there. Things will get better, and we just all have to try to learn from our mistakes so they hopefully don't ever happen again. And if you have any specific issues or let's say you do go out and soil test right away afterwards in the worst areas, just send us your soil tests. We'd be more than happy to take a look at them. All right, let's get to the Ag PhD mailbag. It's the mailbag! All right, I was just saying, hey, send us your soil tests if you ever want us to take a look at them. Well, that's what Larry did. He says, here is my field. It's in Arkansas. We get about 50 inches of rain a year. Unfortunately, usually in big events at a time. But anyway, this field has been mined for many years. Production's now around 35 bushels per acre on soybeans. We want to invest to get up to 70 bushels in three years. What would your recommendation be, and what should we attack first? I'm also bringing my brother Darren on the show now. He's just calling in from out on the road. So, Darren, I assume you heard the question there, and I'll just tell you on the soil test, here are the the few key things that stand out to me. First of all, it's relatively light soil, but not super light. It's 9 CEC. But anyway, here are the problems. Soil pH 4.9, phosphorus level 11 parts per million, potassium level 38 parts per million, boron is 0.2 parts per million, and zinc is only 1.7 parts per million. So, I, I, I mean, our, our general recommendation is you got to get that pH up at least near 6, preferably a little over 6. It'd be great. Phosphorus, personally, I like 50 parts per million at an absolute bare minimum. 
on our own farm, I like 100 to 200 a lot better. But 50 is an absolute bare minimum, so you got to put a bunch of that on. And in your relatively light soil, I just say, yeah, you got to put a lot of potassium on, first of all. But you don't have to get too carried away thinking, well, I got to go nuts pre-emerge or, you know, trying to build the soil up because you do have nine CEC and lots of rainfall, you're going to have some leaching of potassium. So where I'm going with this is you have to be thinking, or at least my opinion is, you should be thinking multiple applications of potassium each year, probably just one shot mid-season and you should be in good shape. But things like boron that I mentioned, sulfur, you're only at 19 parts per million, You're always going to need nitrogen, I mean, in most crops. Soybeans hopefully will be okay without you putting a bunch on. But anyway, I mean, those leachable things, you're you're just going to have to continue to spoon feed them. And it does look like you have irrigation. So I would encourage you, with irrigation and lighter soil, you can change stuff fast. So can you get to, so even though you've, you've been at 35, could you get to 70 within three years? Absolutely no question about it. Darren, any other thoughts on that? Well, I totally agree. We could turn this thing around quick. I would yep. get the lime coming, and I would order the chicken litter today. Get coming, try and build fertility up as fast as you can for this next crop. And like you say, you're going to have to keep managing it each year. But, yeah, I'd, I'd start pushing for it right now. we got enough potential with this crop. You look at how many dollars per bushel you can lock in. Yeah, I know. It's a lot. And yeah, and Larry didn't say anything about chicken litter. Maybe he does have that available. I'm not sure. But all I know is you got to do whatever you can to build up that soil. It's Arkansas. So the odds are high. Yeah. All right. Uh, Next one is from Shiner who asks, is it true that uh, the legume crops like clover, beans, peas, they lower pH slowly over time? Look, any crop can do that, and here's the reason why. Because plant roots not only bring in water and nutrients, they also kick out sugars into the soil, and they're putting out chelating agents. And these chelating agents are also known as organic acids. So when they're putting out acid into the soil, over time, it's certainly possible that crop could lower pH. Now, granted, there are a lot of other things that go into soil pH, nutrient imbalances and all that kind of stuff. But sure, if you raise a tremendous crop, it will put some acid out into the soil and it could at least, well, certainly temporarily it's going to lower the pH. But even long term, it could lower pH if it's left unchecked. All right. Next one is from Steve in South Central Minnesota. He said, my questions are around pH and buffer pH and creating lime recommendations. I have some fields where the pH reading on a soil test comes back at 5.5, but the buffer pH is 7. Well, when I run a prescription based on the University of Minnesota recommendations, they say to put zero tons of lime down at that point. Now, on their recommendations, a buffer pH of 6.9 or higher gets zero tons recommended. Well, what are your thoughts on these buffer pH recommendations? I know some states base lime recommendations off cation exchange capacity, organic matter, and soil type. And with a water pH of 5.5 and a buffer pH of 7, would you apply lime? Anyway, more information on at least that grid point. I've got soil type, Hayden loam, 2 to 6% slope, 
CEC is about 10, organic matter 2%, calcium about 1,400 parts per million, magnesium 300 parts per million, 73% base saturation calcium, 23% base saturation magnesium, and base saturation K is 4%. Now, when I'm running the quick math here, something isn't right because if I add up 73 for calcium, 23 for magnesium, um, that's already putting me up to 96, and I still or nine, yeah, 96, and I and then I got four percent base saturation K. No way, something's off because if I've got a soil test of 5.5, my hydrogen percentage should probably be somewhere around 20 to 25 percent. So something's weird with that is the first thing I'd say. But the second thing is when it comes to buffer pH. Yeah, if it's 7 or basically a higher pH, then a higher buffer pH, then you really don't need lime or it's going to take very little lime to change that pH. Here's one thing I want you to consider as well. If you just pulled these soil tests now, it's a dry year in our area. I mean like real dry. We often see soil pH half around half a point lower than it normally would be. So we're going through this exact same thing on our own farm where I've got some pHs in the upper fives, I'll call it, and I just told our guys, you know what, I don't think I want to lime this year because I think that 5.7 is actually a 6.2. I really do. In a super dry year, our soil is very, very dry. But anyway, um, would I put a little bit of lime on your 5.5 pH, I probably would. Very little. It only takes a little splash and it'll raise it up. But yeah, that's that's most likely what I would do. And I would get the soil retested or at least in that spot because base saturation, something's wrong there. So I'd like to know what it really is. Thanks for the question, Steve. Stay tuned. We'll be right back with more Ag PhD Radio. Early does it. Strong early season defenses against seedling insects and soil diseases are key to a successful season. The leader in in-furrow solutions, FMC, helps protect your fields from the start with a growing portfolio of in-furrow innovations. You can't predict the future, but you can plant for it. Visit your FMC retailer or infurrow.ag.fmc.com to learn more. Always read and follow label directions for use. Your schedule can change by the minute, making it hard to stay on top of the latest agronomy information. But at Ag PhD, we have some good news for you. If you miss an episode of Ag PhD TV or radio, you can catch up at agphd.com. With years of valuable content and the latest episodes available to stream for free, you can continue building your agronomic knowledge on any schedule. While you're there, don't forget to check for upcoming Ag PhD events and workshops. Watch, listen, and learn at agphd.com. Get more durability for less downtime with Soil Warrior Strip Tillage from Environmental Tillage Systems. Improve fertilizer efficiency and reduce passes and fuel usage. Now that's ROI. Learn more about ETS at SoilWarrior.com. Pentair Hypro Ultra Low Drift Nozzles are your ideal choice for the Enlist E3 herbicide system. With coverage comparable to flat fans and with 90% less drift, ULD nozzles meet all required standards for Enlist applications and provide optimal performance of contact herbicides. Learn more at pentair.com hypro. Do you have crop failures due to flooding, drought, or another event? You may need to consider a better burndown regimen. Adding just two ounces of New Farm Panther SC to your tank mix not only provides faster results, it provides residual that lasts. 
you gain flexibility to keep your cropping options open. Ask your dealer for Panther SC and get Panther Power in your tank. Every week for more than two decades, Ag PhD TV has provided agronomic information to make your farm more productive and profitable. In each episode, we discuss a wide range of topics covering everything from crop fertility, promoting soil health, improving the environment, pest control, and more. All designed to help you push your farm to higher yield goals and more profitability. Be sure to catch us on Tuesdays and Saturdays on RFD TV. Check your local listings or visit agphd.com to learn more. When it comes to mites in your field, you can't afford a solution that might work. That's why there's Zealpro Miticide from Valent USA. With next level knockdown and long residual control, you can be sure to handle spider mites at all stages of life with complete certainty. With efficient translaminar activity, apply by ground or air, and confidently attack mites where they are. Make Zealpro the definitive answer to your mite problem. Visit valent.com slash zealpro to learn more. Always read and follow label instructions. This is Ag PhD Radio. I'm Brian Hefty, broadcasting today from the Morton studio. We've been talking about down corn just a little bit, but right now we are right in the middle of the Ag PhD mailbag. If you've got a question for us, you can email us radio at agphd.com or you can give us a call 844-44-AG-PHD. Next question here is from Kirk from Texas. He says, hi guys, I'd like a history on uh, history lesson on soybeans. I understand the reasons to rotate crops, but why did farmers choose soybeans over any other type of bean or legume? Currently, we have the research and genetics and markets for soybeans, but 100 years ago, what other legumes could have done the job? Well, Kirk, I you know I don't know all the all the history on soybeans, but I do know this: they about 100 years ago, roughly, started figuring out pretty fast that hey, soybeans are a good crop because of their the fats and the oils. So basically, soybean oil and soybean meal. And then another thing is when people started planting them in rotation with corn, they found out it seemed like there was a benefit to corn and then going back out of the corn into beans, the beans seemed to do well. So things just just took off eventually. And I was just looking at some stats like from the 1950s to 1970s, the United States dominated world soybean production, growing more than 75% of the world soybean crop. So this has been a big crop in the United States for many decades now, and it continues that way. We, we're we going to see, I'm assuming, a lot of soybean acres planted here in this next year. All right, next one is from Sack, who asks, can you guide me on how to increase zinc without impacting phosphorus? Uh, how to how to do both of these through soil applications. Okay, so one of the things we talk about, Zach, is zinc in relation to phosphorus. In other words, the phosphorus to zinc ratio. And it's going to vary what that ratio should be depending on your testing method. So, for example, with the Malik 3 tests we have run at Midwest Labs down in Omaha, we find that around it's probably seven parts phosphorus for every one part zinc. That's about the right ratio for corn and soybeans. It doesn't have to be exactly that, but when you start getting way off, like let's say it's a 2 to 1 or a 25 to 1, so off on either end of the spectrum, yields start going down. And we've really been able to verify that on our own farm by doing thousands of grid points over the last four years and comparing each and every point 
to yield. So now we can see where the best yields come from and where the worst yields come from. And that ratio is a lot bigger deal than I gave it credit for even half a dozen years ago. So I would really encourage you, uh, take a look at the phosphorus to zinc ratio and, and study it a little bit on your farm and, and where you maximize yield. But how do you increase zinc? Well, there are lots of zinc products out there. And we really like a lot of the liquid products that could be used with the planter for feeding the plant. But if we're talking about overall, I want to raise my zinc level in the soil. Well, dry zinc sulfate's a pretty cheap way to do that. So the, the other thing is it doesn't include any phosphorus. So when you put zinc sulfate out there, then you're going to change that ratio without impacting the phosphorus negatively um, or adding more phosphorus, I should say. So with phosphorus, I mean, there are lots of sources there that don't contain any zinc. So it all depends on where you're at in the spectrum. But I would say this too is where variable rate comes in really handy. We see a lot of variability on our farm and I see it with soil tests that get sent to us all the time. So using variable rate applications for the zinc or for the phosphorus can really pay. All right, uh, next one here. I don't have a name on this one, but it's talking about we're talking about tassel application. We were talking about tassel applications in corn on our television show, and the question here is: When's the best time to apply foliar fertilizer in corn? Well, it all depends on when you run short on nutrients. We want the corn to have a good level of nutrients all throughout the season. If I'm going to miss, and if I'm going to be either too early or too late, I'm always going to tell you be too early. We want to make sure that the plant doesn't run short early because once it's short, you've already negatively impacted yield and you can't ever fully recover that. So if you're applying just a little on the early side, then at least you know you've got more days that hopefully your plant is well fed. And then you have nutrients like, let's say it's nitrogen. If there isn't enough in the soil and you don't have a good way to get it into the soil, you're going to have to apply it foliar uh, maybe even multiple times, but yeah, we, I, I, I just say there isn't one exact time, but it's usually early in the season and we want to be extra early and then all the way up through about tassel, maybe just a little bit beyond that. That's about uh, the latest anybody will put anything on. Okay. Next question is from Brandon. He says, I actually have two questions. He said, I wrote back a few weeks ago on chicken litter. Well, the sales rep says he doesn't want to put more than three tons per acre in front of soybeans, and they'd spread it over the winter and work it in the spring. He said, if I put more on, I'll have a lodging problem. Now, I read that Kip Cullors is putting down five tons of some kind of litter in his area in front of soybeans. Now, I know we have different environments, but I'm wondering, could I put six tons on in south-central Minnesota and still be okay? Uh, we have a higher average yield than a lot of people do in our area. We're shooting for 85 bushel beans. We've been getting uh, in the 70s. And then my second question, is, he says, is what tire pressure should we be running on our tractors in the spring for planting and tillage as well as uh, fall PSI? Also, does planter tire PSI matter as well? Going down the road with full tanks of liquid fertilizer. I know my center tires have to be full on PSI, but should I be lowering my outside tire pressure? I'm a younger farmer. I'm just trying to do things right. Okay, so Brandon, first of all, I'd like to see tests, and maybe we did when you sent us these tests a while back, on your soil and on the chicken litter to tell you what we're going to feel comfortable with. But 
I, I mean, you should be able to put quite a bit on in front of soybeans. You really should. And I'm not that worried about lodging as long as we've got a really good level of potassium in that soil and that litter has a fair amount of potassium too. Potassium is the real key, like we've been talking about with our topic today, downed corn on the shill. Uh, in, in terms of what rate exactly you should go with the litter, I don't know. But I would say this you're always going to learn more when you do some experiments. So if I believed personally that I could put down six tons, even though everybody's telling me three tons, you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to try six tons, but I'm going to try it on small acreage, and then we're going to see what happens. Anyway, with your tire pressure thing, I would tell you talk to your equipment manufacturers because I, I don't want to comment and tell you something wrong for the tires you're actually running. But I do know this in the field, if we can run a little bit lower pressure, that does seem to reduce our overall compaction level. There are a lot of people that go to tracks and you can certainly go that way too, but many farmers have been lowering the tire pressure in the field. But I would also agree with you that you want to have higher tire pressure when you're going down the road. You have to. All right, I uh, got Grant on the phone line with us from out in Illinois. Grant, I hear you got a comment on fertigation. I do. Uh, we're 90% irrigated here in where we live between Springfield and Peoria sure. in the Mason County, Taswell areas. Yeah. And it's beneficial to fertigate. Uh, we, we fertigate most of the nitrogen on our corn in this area. Yep. You know, 20 units of nitrogen at a time, 25. Yep. And we've found it's most beneficial. We use a lot of 2005 okay. at uh, like 10 gallon every, every pass. Sure. And it's beneficial to keep fertigating way past brown silk uh, uh, quite a ways. The corn takes up a lot of nitrogen and even potash yet until uh, until that grain's completely filled, you know, early early milk stage. Yes, excellent point. Yeah, when I when I got that question in about foliar fertilizer, I wasn't really thinking about the whole irrigation thing and spoon feeding like that. But yep, you're you're dead right. on right. And no, I agree with you 100%. After tassel, it's still off the top of my head. I'm going to say roughly a third of the nitrogen in that corn plant's life that it still pretty, needs pretty to bring close. up. Pretty close. Yeah. And and probably and probably somewhere same amount of potash. Yeah. And we and we we have a custom of putting. Uh, you know, five five percent uh, ammonium thiosulfate in that mix. So, you know, it's it, it's pretty hard in this area because we have really light sand, and yep. you know, we our seeds are down low. You can't build it. So, yeah, no, I, right. I I agree with you. Hey, Grant, thanks a lot for the call. Appreciate it. Yeah, thank you. Keep. Yeah, yeah. Sorry, Grant, just cut him off there. Hey, uh, <laughs> apologize about that. Anyway, I was just going to say with, with Grant's comments there, it's so awesome to hear farmers really, truly managing those nutrients well. And sometimes from the general public, we hear, oh, farmers aren't watching these things. And I'm like, no, farmers are, they, they know what they're doing and they do an excellent job. So anyway, thanks a lot for that call, Grant. All right, before we go, just want to say uh, thanks to my sister Janelle. She was producing the show for me today. appreciate that. Thanks to everybody who called or wrote in with questions. And thanks to you for listening. Be sure to join us again each weekday for more Ag PhD Radio.